재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵. And right about this time every week, we are joined by Michelle Kang, who's with the Seoul Global Center. She fills us in on things about Korea, past, present, and possibly future, that you might not have known and that you wish you had known sooner. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Kurt. So we are uh, talking about storytelling today. Mm-hmm. Uh, every culture has its myths and its legends. I think back about uh, the story I was told as a little boy about George Washington and the cherry tree. Uh, okay. First president of the U.S., George Washington, how he chopped down a cherry mm. tree and his dad came up and said, did you do this? I guess the fact that he was holding the axe kind of had something to do with it. But he said, I cannot lie, Dad. I did this. Mm. Um, And so little myths get woven into our popular culture. There's probably a grain of truth in them. And there are a whole bunch of those here in Korea, right? That's right. I remember I've told you so many little stories or folk tales. um, And then we can actually learn the traditions or um, customs from those stories. And then, well... Probably everybody likes storytelling or enjoys listening to stories. I do love um, listening to stories, mm-hmm. just like the one you just told me. They get passed on and they take on different dimensions mm-hmm. in uh, cultures. Sometimes they get a bit larger than life. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's uh, What are some stories that, uh, that, that, that you like? Um, well, there are lots of stories, but recently, like actually last month, I went to Turkey um, mm. and I've been to all these um, cities there. And then one of the cities I really liked was Cappadocia. Probably you will know all these like geological features um, because of all these features. That was uh, one of those filming locations for movies like Star Wars. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, all these rock formations, very unique rock formations. They were called fairy chimneys. Such a cute name. (laughs) Uh, And then there were like really beautiful three tall uh, rock formations you can see. And then they were named three beauties. Really? Mm -hmm. Beauties like beautiful women or? Uh, Not really. Just three beauties. Three beauties is like a family members, oh. three family members. Uh, a, a Turkish guy there told me this legend about that uh, rock formations. It's about a, a king and then a daughter a prince. Well, prince wanted to, I mean like the king wanted his daughter to marry all these like noble men but she fell in love with the shepherd and uh, they secretly married mm. and uh, they had a baby but uh, she thought probably by the time they have a baby he, uh, the king would forgive them mm. but it was not true so the king actually ordered other soldiers to just go after them to kill them so they were in the middle of this valley and then prayed to the god uh, please make us uh, into a rock or just let us just die before all these soldiers come and then they just turned uh, into rocks. That is a peculiar prayer but at least it was granted and (laughs) they were safe from the soldiers. Mm. That's kind of a glass half full situation. (laughs) The soldiers didn't get me but I'm now a rock formation. Right. Interesting. Mm. I've never made it to Turkey but um, I would love to at some point Mm -hmm. and and check that out. Here in Korea, let's uh, transition into some of Korea's sort of founding myths and look a little bit at what's behind them. Right. Uh, you've heard of this story probably because uh, the Tangun story, Tangun, who is the one who founded Gojoseon, sort of the Korea's first kingdom, 
how um, Hanun, his dad, came to uh, Earth, and then the two animals, bear and then tiger, they wanted to become human. Uh, so they were ordered to avoid all the sunlight for a certain amount of time, and they were supposed to live on uh, mugwort and then garlic. Mm. But tiger gave up, and then bear um, survived this uh, test sort of, and then uh, bear became a woman, and then the woman, bear woman, married to Tan uh, Hwanu, and then their baby is Tan Gun, who is the uh, founder of this dynasty. Yeah, I've heard this story mm-hmm. uh, many times. It it, it perplexes me. Um, the details of it perplex yeah. me. You know, the uh, it makes you wonder how. I mean, somebody. Koreans don't actually believe literally that a beer became a human and ate the garlic and all Mm -hmm. this. So it makes you wonder who thought of it in the first place, by what process they thought of it, and what the details signify. Mm. I mean, what's the deal with eating garlic and mugwort for 100 days? That's right. There are many theories, actually. Um, The bear woman is called Ungnya, but there's a theory, one theory, that uh, Ungnya is supposed to be... uh, Meaning a woman with some sort of sacred um, powers, mm. and then over generations and generations, it was just a uh, sort of change to a different meaning. So people just started to make up a story out of this. Yeah, context no, I mean the process right? of myth and mm. how how myths transform over generations is certainly a universal thing. It's mm. always it's always fascinating to hear how and why people latch on to these new uh, details. Right. So, I mean, uh, Koreans have, it's not by accident, Koreans have put a lot of effort into keeping their myths and their stories alive over the generations and over the centuries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the forms how Koreans enjoyed the storytelling was pansori, right? It's a very unique performance. It's sort of a vocal um, and percussion performance by one singer and then one drummer. Have you ever watched Pansori performance before? Oh, sure, yeah. It's yeah. one of the first things. And, and back when mm. I was, uh, you know, kind of doing more news work, they would gather journalists and take them out to cultural performances right, and things right. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, right. So, originally, there were like 12 Korean operas, Korean Pansori, but mm. only five of them are passed down. And these are well, actually reborn as literature, like stories Koreans love. Some of the stories I already mentioned on this program before. So, Shim Chongjeon or Hungbu Jeon, Chunyang Jeon, things like that. So, this, yeah, is a very, uh, it's sort of the evidence how Koreans love storytelling, I think, or is legends. Is Sopyeonje Pansori? Mm, yeah, it's uh, regarded as uh, pansori. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I, that, that became an actually uh, fairly well-known film too. They made a film out of that's it. That's right, and that uh, gained some global fame. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. right. That's right. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, a lot of uh, myths and legends uh, tend to overlap and mix and blend and influence uh, each other. Why don't you give me see if you can. Um, Tell me a story I haven't heard before. Okay. Um, to tell you a story, why don't we just go down to Gyeongju? Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Gyeongju? Yeah, I have at some point, for sure. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you've been to, because this is one of the uh, tourist destinations for international mm-hmm. visitors, right? And as a student, and when I was young, I had to just go there uh, as a school excursion uh, trip. 
to. Um, this entire city is called a museum without walls. It's got so many things to see. And because Gyeongju was the capital of the Silla dynasty. Ah, okay. mm, so yeah. Silla dynasty was ruled by 56 kings over about a thousand years. Mm. So for all these period, um, since Silla dynasty adopted Buddhism in the 6th century, you can see lots of Buddhist uh, cultural relics or historical sites. So one of the uh, representative uh, sites would be Pulguksa uh, and then uh, what is it? Pulguksa and then Sokkuram. Sokkuram is the the stone temple or uh, grotto. Uh, like grotto, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so sort of like car- almost a carved. Uh, That's right. Uh, edifice. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. right. It's part of the uh, temple, right? So um, all these places you can see uh, appreciate the beauty of these relics, and then one of the easiest places you can see everything. Um, is the museum, National Museum. So go to the Gyeongju National Museum. Then you can see a huge bell in front of the museum. That is called the Divine Bell of King Sangdok or Sacred Bell of Great King Sangdok. Why is it divine and sacred? Uh, it's, well, first of all, this is the biggest Korean bell preserved so far. And then it's just not the size. It's highly valued for a beautiful sound. And, uh, this bell was actually, uh, made to pay country, pay tribute to King, uh, And his son actually tried to, uh, make this bell for, um, his deceased father, but he couldn't really finish it. 34 years later, his son actually finished uh, making this bell. Now, this is one of these humongous cast iron bells. Yes. Kind of like, what is the one in uh, Jongno there? Is it uh, Jongno? Boshingak. Boshingak, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's a, it's a gigantic hanging cast iron bell, and it takes basically the entire trunk of a tree to ring it, right? That's right. You have uh, an entire trunk of, I guess, a pine tree, and three or four guys will pull it back, mm-hmm. and then boom, 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 right? <laughs> That's, That's right. That's how it goes. Right, right. So you can see the difference between all these bells, like the Western bells you can find, uh, and then the Buddhist bells. The mm. sound is different. And then especially this one, this can... Um, it has a longer linger time than yeah. any other bells. A longer, so I guess it's made better or it has more iron or something like that. Right. That's one of the coolest things. I mean, on a miniature scale in mm-hmm. a temple, they'll ring a chime or a bell and it's a it's a meditative thing. You wait for the bell to dissipate. Right, right, you know, the, when, Even when the first ring is over, the air is still ringing with a frequency. Mm-hmm. When the bell is gigantic, the size of an elephant, you know, the whole town is ringing for uh, another minute or two, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then by the by now, probably you are wondering about all these like legends or uh, folk tales about this specific bell. Oh, there are legends mm-hmm. about the bell? Yes, okay. yes. Um, it's, it goes by another name. There is an official name, but it goes by a nickname, Emile Bell. Not Emily. Uh, but Emile Bell. Okay. Mm-hmm. Emile Jung. And then there's a sad legend about uh, this bell. It was cast in 771. So 12,000, 1,200,000. 1,200 years, years ago. ago. So <laughs> 1,200,000. Uh, 12,000. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> Before the dawn of man. Okay. So. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, this was uh, to pay tribute to King s o n g d e o k But at that time, you can imagine actually uh, that time period, it was almost impossible to build such a huge bell. So they needed lots of uh, bronze and then a lot of number working on this. And government officials and then the Buddhism was the main uh, religion back then. So Buddhist monks, they visited house by house to collect some bronze or uh, money. Mm-hmm. And then one monk visited a house in the countryside. Very poor woman just showed up and then well, of course she was She had no bronze to no, offer? No, but she didn't mean it, but she said, there's nothing I can actually offer. So if you have to take anything from me, take my baby. That's the only thing that I have. Like, something like that. So monks just uh, gave up and then returned to the palace. But mm-hmm. later on, if for some reason, there was a discussion uh, in the palace. And then they decided they would need a human sacrifice to make a perfect bell. This is interesting. I mean, um, there was an article uh, weeks ago where they found remains where they speculated maybe at some point in the distant Mm. past there was some form of human sacrifice. This uh, apparent sacrifice of a a baby, do you you take it, do Koreans take it to be historic or is this kind of a made-up thing? Uh, original, bef- yeah, I, I'm going to talk about the article uh, and then the, the remains and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before this article came out, people just believed this is just uh, one of those stories people made up and then it just passed down. No specific meaning to this human sacrifice. But yeah, you're right about this article. It's mm. really fascinating. The article is one thing, but then we have this story about the, the, the baby. They right, need a baby. right. Is that purely myth or is that taken to be some kind of oh, story? This is just a myth, I would okay. say. Right. Uh, the reason why it's got a nickname, Emile Bell, mm. I think I have to uh, explain. The, the palace, all these monks and then uh, government officials, they would need... A, a child to right sacrifice. Mm. So the monk remembered about that woman, and then all the other monks just uh, brought that child. We're not sure it was a boy or a girl, but brought the child and then threw the baby into the hot molten bronze. Really? Okay, mm. that, I, I'm going to be real frank with you and say this does not sound awfully Buddhist to me of a bunch of monks to chuck That's a baby right. into hot That's bronze. That's right, you're correct. So uh, in Buddhism, like killing... Even animal life is mm. prohibited, right? So people, that's why people um, thought this is just a made-up story, right? Yeah. This cannot be true. And then uh, just the people made this story um, whenever, of course, after the baby was sacrificed, the bell, the, the thing that we see at the museum um, was just made completely. And uh, all these people in the court was happy but people felt whenever the bell was rung it felt like it was making the sound emile emile the bell emile. i'm trying to picture <laughs> i don't want to laugh about this even the baby thing but uh they draw the 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 hammer back they mm-hmm. strike the bell and it sounds like emile, emile. <laughs> <laughs> i you know come on uh, it's but, interesting yeah, okay so emile, emile. <laughs> emile means mother all right asian shilla word So, uh, in Buddhism, that's unthinkable thing, right? To kill a human. Mm. And, uh, well, 
to there was a uh, also a rumor that uh to make a really really perfect bell with a great sound you need all these proper ingredients of course bronze but if it's mixed with some calcium um then it's going to be even better i mean the bell i think i see where you're going here right so people suspect Probably, if it's uh, the myth is true, mm. you are supposed to find that these substances in the the bell, right? Mm. So scientists have conducted this experiment, but they couldn't really find any sign of this calcium mm. uh, in the bell. So in Buddhism, not it's not uh, it cannot be really happen, and all these. But uh, recently. Uh, I think the article was just uh, about two or three weeks ago. I remember seeing Mm -hmm. this this particular article. What what was it? It was like (laughs) remains of two people next to each other, wasn't it? That's right. So especially in Gyeongju, there's this uh, area called Walsang, which is a fortress. Mm -hmm. Um, And the two human sacrifices, I mean, the human remains in Walsang was found there and this is people believe um it's like the the human sacrifice that reflected people's wish the construction of the palace or palace fortress would go well and then uh, would not collapse so yeah i mean these instances of possible human sacrifice in Korean history, they're, they're few and far between, right? I mean, you don't think of Korea as, it's not like, you know, Aztecs or Mayans or stuff where there are clear legends mm. of human sacrifice. Um, so I want to tread carefully. I don't want people getting the impression that this is just some sort of human sacrifice uh, civilization. Mm. How, how should we contextualize this? I mean... Well, um, according to all these uh, studies scientists conducted, the two uh, human remains, one is male and the other one we're not really sure yet. Mm. Uh, but we could uh, say there was no sign of struggle. So they were like a voluntary early um, sacrifice themselves. Mm. And then male was laid facing the sky and the other one was just uh, looking at the uh, male body. Um, and the faces were covered with the bark of a tree mm. and then bodies were covered with uh, leaves and then there was no sign of a tomb nearby. Mm. Um, and uh, all these archaeologists said the pair was sacrificed at least uh, 1500 years ago and the tree bark was dated as being from the 5th century as well. Mm. And... Uh, the, the idea of their sacrifice, their voluntary sacrifice, mm. was what to uh, aid in the construction and the strength. Construction, that's right. There, it's uh, we're we're believing now. Um, there was a belief that if a human was sacrificed at the time of construction, building a new construction, construction, then that building would remain uh, firmly there. So that's how it all started. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, not something you see a whole lot of. Have we have, have we seen any other cases of this sort of human remains uh, elsewhere uh, indicating human sacrifice? Um, yes. Well, in Gyeongju in 2000, the remains of a boy was found. But uh, that boy was found underneath the side of a well. Hmm. If that boy was accidentally um, fall into a well, then... Uh, it wouldn't be like that, the, the body, the position, but the body was found upside down. 
So this was um, raising the possibility of a human sacrifice as well. Um, but different from this amulet bell, it mm. were, uh, the boy was maybe sacrificed as part of a ritual. Um, and there was a record in the Joseon dynasty that mentions the history of Korea. There was a rumor the king in uh, Korea would bury a commoner boy uh, underneath the foundation stone, just like this, the, when building a palace. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, it, it's known that there was this practice of human sacrifice in other countries like uh, China and Mongolia, a little different. Uh, all these bodies found in China, all these uh, uh, humans buried as sacrifices were found with their heads removed. This is in the China case? It's China. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and one thing, this is not related to this uh, remains, but uh, I think most Koreans believe there was this practice of abandoning their parents, old parents, at the uh, summit of a mountain so they can just die there. It's part of a practice. There is a name for it, Koryo-jang, during the Koryo dynasty. Koryo period. And then the, the jang part of that means? A like funeral. A funeral. Right. Ah. But this is so not true. Because um, Buddhism also the one of the reasons, and then people were uh, really highly um, valuing this uh, filial piety. Mm. So that was not true. This is a made-up story uh, by the Japanese during this Japanese uh, colonial period. Oh, how interesting! Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. So the the academic consensus in Korea is that this uh, Koryojang uh, folk belief that you would sort of take your elderly parents up to the mountain and basically leave them there to die. Mm-hmm. The consensus is that that was a sort of smear made up by the Japanese colonial right. rulers mm-hmm. and that it's actually not true. That's right. Hmm. I would be very keen to read uh, some really academic writing and some exploration of this whole human sacrifice concept and see to what extent uh, ac- academics who dive deep into this stuff mm-hmm. believe it took place as a... Uh, ritual or as a guarantor of structures and things like that. I, right. I mean, until this year, until that article a few weeks ago, it never crossed my mind. I didn't yeah. have any notion that Mm-mm. human sacrifice even was part of this civilization's history. Yeah, that's right. So when I was actually um, looking into this uh, article and then this remains, I learned about this uh, record that was written during the Joseon dynasty that mentions this uh, practice that has been done during the Korea dynasty. Hmm. That was uh, really, really shocking news to me too. Mm. Right. Any other <clears throat> bits that we know from uh, the annals of archaeology about uh, things uh, in, you know in the past with whether it's human sacrifice related or not? Okay. Um, many people have heard about this Joseon dynasty, but probably they're not really uh, familiar with the Shilla dynasty. Back uh, then, the Sh- Silk Roads was expanded as far as Korea, and the Shilla dynasty was the one dynasty that engaged in culture or a trade with foreign countries, including the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the uh, uh, clay dolls found this uh, Walsung fortress was uh, it has like very peculiar features. Mm. It's got the uh, Western features. Especially Arabian feature. It's Arabian mm-hmm, wearing a turban and a kaftan, the Middle Eastern uh, dress. Mm. Um, and then the historians said this is Sogdia. I'm not really, I wasn't really sure what it is, but it's an ancient Iranian civilization. 
Okay, maybe like a Mesopotamian type of thing, yeah, or for right. forebear to uh, where modern Iran is. Mm-hmm. So Arabic features uh, or Persian features mm-hmm. and Middle Eastern garb as well. Maybe Korea wasn't quite as much of a hermit kingdom as people make it out to be, based on some of these archaeological finds. Michelle, very interesting stuff. Thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you, Kurt.